Are celebrities like Drake good or bad for the sports card hobby? We're gonna give you our opinion now on Cards on the Table. Hello, sports card investors, and welcome to another Cards on the Table, our fast-paced talk show where the topics come from you and your suggestions in the YouTube comments. We got some great ones to tackle today, and tackling those topics with me is from our team here, our VP of Product Development at Sports Card Investor, Tyler Nethercott, Teapot. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, everybody. And the shooting guard for the St. Peter's University Peacocks, Doug, where's your Kentucky gear today? Doug Husky, everybody. Welcome to the show. Lifelong Kentucky fan for whatever that is worth. Hey, guys, let's get into our topics today. The first topic we've got to cover is celebrities getting into the hobby because this is very timely and relevant at the moment. And what transpired recently was last week the sports card hobby was set on fire on social media when news broke that Drake had posted a photo on his Instagram of 14 flawless basketball boxes. And he said that he was going on a hunt for the LeBron triple logo man uh, out of those flawless cases. Now, those cases currently are selling, or the boxes, I should say, are currently selling for about $15,000 each. That meant that he spent over $200,000 on that stack of boxes, but he was not just done with that. He has gotten into other breaks and there's crazy stuff happening. In fact, tonight, the biggest sports card break in history is taking place. Uh, Layden Sports Cards and Blaze have gotten together. They did a break uh, that was $40,000 to enter, 30 different slots. $1.2 million break, and they were breaking, I think, 25 cases of flawless basketball. Everyone is going crazy trying to find the LeBron triple logo man. And this, of course, this chaos this week is somewhat the result of Drake posting last week. So when celebrities like Drake get into the game at this level, is this good or bad for the hobby? Doug, we'll start with you. Uh, well, first of all, I just celebrated my one-year anniversary with SCI, and it was so generous of you to get me a spot in that break. I thought that was a really cool thing for you to do for me. Um, I think both, you know, I see both sides of this, whether it's good or bad for the hobby. I think it's very subjective. Whatever side of it you want to see, you can make a strong argument. What I don't necessarily love is how fleeting it tends to be when this happens. They, they come in, they make a big splash, and they're gone. You know, a month from now, after the dust settles, is Drake still in the hobby in any capacity? Is he collecting? Is he investing? Um, this won't necessarily have a lot of ripple effect because it's so high end, I think. For most of us, it's really out of reach. Um, flawless is not something that I w- would you know, be participating in personally, so it's not going to really affect me. But you're seeing flawless prices go up and up and up. So if you're someone who's into the very high end, it's only getting higher, right? Um, you know, again, I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. It brings some mainstream media coverage to, uh, to the hobby. And that, you know, there's the saying that a rising tide you know, raises all ships. So uh, it, you know, some, pl- some, publici- excuse me, some publicity is a good thing, but... 
There's limits to it for sure. What do you think, Teapot? Agree, disagree? Yeah, no, I, I think Doug said a lot of things I totally agree with. And, you know, I have seen people on social media getting really grumpy about this and, oh, this is no card should be worth this much. No case should cost, you know, $30,000 a case or whatever. I don't, I don't really understand that gripe, to be totally honest. I mean, I suppose people say that about everything, but this is my thought process is product tiers are really important. This is something you and I have talked about, this, the different strati of product tiers. This is the highest end. We're seeing Flawless take over. It's supplanting National Treasures very clearly as the Chase product is the big hit product. And we know that Fanatics has plans to kind of create those product strati as well. People don't get mad when they see Drake on the sidelines with sideline seats at every Raptors game. People don't get mad knowing that Drake has millions and millions and millions of dollars. People don't get mad that the athletes that we pull out of these boxes on cards are making millions and millions of dollars. In some cases, you do the math, it's like, that guy just made like $18,000 per pitch, you know, for throwing the baseball, (laughs) like it's crazy. People don't sit and scream and shout about that. So why would you care if those people are spending that money on cards? To Doug's point, in any case are almost always out of most people's you know, uh, reach. I, I, overall, I think if it's shining a light on the hobby, it's okay. Well, I, to your point, T-Pot, I'm sorry, Jeff, but I was going to say that would you, wouldn't you rather, if Drake's going to dump $200,000, be on Flawless instead of clearing off the retail shelves or taking all of our prism away from us, you know, something that's a bit, a bit more attainable? Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, and the counterpoint, I think, to this, and because we hear it sometimes from people in the comments and that type of thing, is that, is that while it's true that like a rising tide, you know, rises all ships, what that also means is that the price of all wax gets more expensive. Yes, Drake is buying flawless, but there's a trickle-down effect that as flawless goes to the stratosphere, that now the next level of people down now start to, you know, buy Prism and Select, and then that goes to the stratosphere. And we saw that happen over the last couple of years. And and collectors that have been in the hobby for 10 or 20 or 30 years, a lot of them complain incessantly about the high wax prices and how difficult it is for them to go buy a box of their favorite product today than it was a few years ago. It's a tough challenge. What do you do? Now, I'm of the mindset, like, here, here's what I equate that to. I equate that to the person who lives um, in a beach town in Florida who says, I used to be able to buy a waterfront lot for $70,000. And because all of these people moved in and this town blew up, and now this beach town in Florida has turned into this like luxury destination. Now all of a sudden, all the waterfront lots are a million and a half instead of 70,000. For the person who lived in that town for 30 years, that kind of stinks, unless you own the waterfront lots. And if you owned a waterfront lot, then it's a pretty good thing for you now, isn't it, right? So I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, yes, I understand it's bad for collectors to buy new wax. I also understand at the same time that all collectors' collection values, for the most part, have probably gone up as a result. I welcome the celebrities, bring more of them on. I would though, to your point, Doug, like more of them to turn into longer-term collectors and not just come in and splash for a box break and then we never hear from them again. All right, guys, that's time for that topic. We got to get a topic two. Before we do, check out this hotness, guys. This is Basketball Card Fanatic Magazine. And every month now in Basketball Card Fanatic, there's a market report powered by Market Movers. Pretty sweet. This is a great magazine. If you are a, we're about to talk about different types of collectors. And if you're a basketball card collector, man, you want this magazine and you can get 10% off any subscription 
by going to bcfmag.com and using promo code SCI10. That's pretty great. Uh, 27 different types of collectors, right? Yeah. This was a video that you did a little while back on our Sports Card Investor channel. We wanted to resurface it and talk about it today because I think it's relevant you know, with a lot of things going on. Tell us a little bit more about the 27 types of collectors you identified and and then I'm going to be curious to see which which one Doug. Falls I want in. you to list all 27 right now. <laughs> this is let's go. Uh, this was a passion project. This is something I've just been keeping on the side for a long time. And actually, before I even ever joined Sports Card Investor, you know, a friend and I were kind of like writing up an outline for like an ebook for how to you know card collecting and investing and all of that kind of stuff. And so a lot of this stuff kind of rises to the surface. Everybody knows that I'm a big you know Andre Drummond collector. I've got other big PCs. I love 90s basketball cards. Uh, so that kind of organically came out and I'm like, you know what? Sometimes we get accusations, which frankly are not fair at all, that think because we're sports card investor that we don't collect, that we don't understand how to collect, that we're just in it for flipping and hustle. And that it couldn't be further from the truth, honestly. So I put together that list. Honestly, it could be much bigger, but I had a lot of fun. And what I did was I just highlighted some of my favorite, I think well-polished Instagram accounts that highlight and showcase these different types of collectors. And some of them, you know, you've got obviously a player collector, you've got goat collectors, you've got team collectors, you do set builders, vintage cards, you've got super high-end stuff, and then you've got the different types of cards, the different variations, you know, die cuts and different parallels, rainbow chasing, all that stuff. So the list goes on and on, funny name collectors, all that kind of stuff. And I just had a lot of fun with it. And um, it was a really, really well-received video. I got a ton of awesome uh, comments in, you know, in, the, in the YouTube comments as well as DMs on Instagram. We're gonna, we're gonna link to that video right now uh, and we'll put it in the show notes as well. So you can click that link if you wanna check that video out. You know, you know Doug, who I like to collect? Yeah, I, like, I, I like to collect the players from 15 seeds that have upset two seeds in the NCAA tournament. They don't get cards pretty often, I'm very, guessing. Very yeah. rarely get cards. Very, maybe this year, maybe yeah. this year, we'll see what happens. I know you're a Kentucky basketball collector. True, yeah. I know you're a collector of a lot of things. You got yeah. soccer card collections yeah. and everything going. What type? How do you define yourself? What type of collector are you? <clears throat> well, you, you kind of hit on the main point. Um, I'm primarily a college sports fan. Growing up, I never had a pro team around me to root for, uh, so I latched on really hard to college sports. So. Kentucky basketball, Kentucky football, I, I collect them in the pros. I don't really care much for college products, so I go after my favorite players that are in their pro uniforms. Um, I like to go after rainbows, you mentioned that a minute ago, but I can't do that with Kentucky basketball players, they're all way too expensive, but I can do it with Kentucky football players. So Josh Allen for the Jaguars, the real Josh Allen, the, the good one, not the, you know, the, the bad quarterback. Not the Bills quarterback, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., one of the greatest receivers in the league right now. Like, oh, yes. I've got heavy collections of those guys, uh, rainbows for days. Being, he's being um, chased by every team right now. You're pumping, you're pumping Lynn Bowden uh, I can't wait for the first comment that says I'm pumping Lynn Bowden Jr. because boy, um, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Take a snippet. <laughs> but do you have the best Lynn Bowden Jr. collection out there? I doubt it. I bet my guy Jimmy up at Kentucky oh, Roadshow has does. a better one. We're probably always bidding on the same cards. He's got a lot other. of the Kentucky basketball cards. Yeah. He's got a pretty crazy Yeah, I think he crushes on. me on that. But aside from that, I'll also go for nostalgic cards when it comes to PC. Mm -hmm. uh, I recently put together a lot of um, like late 80s, early 90s Bo Jackson cards that aren't particularly expensive at all, but they mean a lot to me because those are the cards that I had the most fun pulling when I was young. Uh, or just any sort of like favorite player I had growing up. I love Randy Moss, for instance, Barry Sanders. I love going after the guys that meant a lot to me growing up, whether it was just the nostalgic pool when I was ripping wax or guys that I just you know really loved watching. By the way, I'm gonna throw you a bone here, Doug. Okay. 
Do you know the last team that lost to a 15 seed in the NCAA tournament? Was it Syracuse? No, it was actually the Gators. Oh, was it really? We lost last year in the NCAA tournament. We lost to Oral Roberts. I don't. Uh, rem- I somehow don't we remember did. that. We did, and then and yeah, it was. I'm glad you don't remember it because you would have been. You would. I feel been, like uh, Syracuse lost to Richmond or something. Much more, much more. I don't know. Syracuse didn't even make the tournament this year, did they? I don't. They know. usually uh, don't. I don't know what happened to them. Anyway, our producer, Syracuse guy. Yes. Um, yeah, but the collector. We're back on the collector topic, ladies and gentlemen. You know, one of the great things that I love about the sports card hobby is that you can both be a collector and an investor at the same time, yes. right? And and most people are. Absolutely. And sometimes it crosses over. Like I'm a collector of Trey Young cards. I also believe in Trey Young from an investment standpoint. So I've got a nice collection of both. I'm also a collector of Tim Tebow cards. I don't know that he looks like the best long-term investment at the moment. I'm not sure his minor league baseball career is ever going to get resurrected again. No. Um so but you know what? That doesn't stop me from buying Tim Tebow Baseball cards, and I've got his uh, first uh, first Bowman, uh, you know, Mets uniform card in a variety of ways. You've so got a ticket as well from his first I, game as a Met, right? I got all kinds of yeah. all kinds of Tebow stuff. So you can collect your team. You can, you know, it can be crossover with investment. It cannot be, but I do think there's actually there was one when I saw your list of 27 teapot. There was one that was missing. There should have been a 28th because it's what I've really gotten into recently, what I've actually really come to love and enjoy. Complete sets of autographed on cards. Autographed on cards. Yeah. Well, just autographed on cards in general. So yeah. it doesn't have to be complete sets, right? But like on card autographs where, you know, you've got the actual like rookie card of a player. This is before the modern sets where, or the ultra modern sets where you see a lot of on card autographs. I did autos. through the mail. We're going back. Well, I mean, that's yeah. real authentic. Yeah. If you're, you go do it through the mail like people used to do back in the day. Yeah. But yeah, if you get one of those rookie cards with the on-card autos from the 80s, from the 90s, I love that stuff because that was my childhood. And it's a unique way of making a higher population card lower population. A lot of those late 80s cards that I used to love to collect, they were super high population even in good grades. But if you get that on-card auto and you get the good auto grade along with the good grade. What's your latest pickup? Is it the Bo Jackson? Yeah, the Bo, and I got, I got a Bo Jackson. I got a Mike Trout. I have a Derek Jeter um, from, uh, you know, from that era. Derek yeah. Jeter tops rookie card, uh, which is a pretty cool one as well. Uh, and I got the Ken Griffey Jr., the uh, upper deck, 1989 upper deck Ken yeah. Griffey Jr., auto 10, PSA 10. Wow. Super rare. Uh, with that grade, and I just love those. So that's just another type of collector. There's really so, I mean, there's really almost a limitless amount, but you did a great job of creating, you know, 27 of the, probably the most popular buckets, probably the biggest buckets. Really cool video, definitely check that out. We have linked to that. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. And you can now try Market Movers for free by using promo code TRIAL. Just go to sportscardinvestor.com, click on Market Movers in the main menu bar. Promo code TRIAL gets you seven days of Market Movers absolutely for free. All right, guys, we're on to our mailbag topics that were suggested by you. 
in the recent video comments. One of those topics was thoughts on eBay's vault. So eBay made some pretty big noise recently in the sports card hobby when they announced that they were coming out with their own vault so that when you buy things on eBay, you could have those things put directly into a vault, which eBay will keep and maintain. And then if you want to go sell them in the future, they'll go directly from your vault right onto sale on eBay for you. So a pretty nice automated system. Of course, there are other vaults out there. PWCC has had their own vault for a while. That is now associated with PWCC's website and auctions. Golden started their vault not too long ago. There are other vaulting services as well. But the fact that eBay is doing it, which is the largest of the marketplaces, that's a pretty big deal. What do we think of eBay's vault? Teapot, I'm going to start with you. I think this serves a massive need. This is a huge win. I'm super excited about it. Obviously, golden, high-end stuff, right? If you've got uh, you know, a, a card that's worth 50 or 100 bucks, usually it's not going to golden. That stuff can go to PWCC. So far, what I've seen, a lot of those cards kind of get crushed on the, the auctions and the monthly auctions and things because they don't have the eyes that eBay has right now. Overall, I love this. I love the idea of if I find a card, and this is a, I've shown this process on videos, I'll go out to Market Movers, I'm doing my research, I find an undervalued card, I click out to eBay, I find one that I wanna buy that's a good price, I save it, I set a price alert, I add it to my collection, and now I can also just have it go right into the vault for eBay. When my price alert goes off at my sell threshold, I'm going out and I'm listing it on the vault, either on a, you know, a quick auction, a flash auction, or I'm listing it on a buy it now, just below where it last sold and trying to make that stuff move. It takes the legwork out. It means if I'm out of town, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to ship it. Uh, I think it's huge. Yeah, it is. Now, it means you don't have it in your hand. Yeah. So from a collector standpoint, right. you don't get to feel it and experience it. But if it's something you're buying for investment that you know you're going to resell, especially for flipping, can be very, very effective. Doug, your thoughts on the vault? I've got a lot of thoughts about it, uh, mostly all positive. Uh, if you combine this with their new digital wallet, now you've got funds that are just sitting there that are available. You don't have to necessarily have them transferred straight to your bank account. So you have these funds that are available and you're able to buy and sell in real time. Uh, I think that's a really, really smart move for them. And it kind of reminds me of maybe do how you would sell on ComC where you have your inventory that you can, you know, basically just update live and flip it on the spot or, you know, something like with Starstock, what they used to do. And I really like that. I like the aspect that you don't necessarily have to have packages mailed to your house. You can avoid theft, right? We talked about this in a recent episode. You don't have to deal with, uh, you know, porch pirates coming and getting this stuff off your porch. You don't have to deal with, um, um, excuse me, sorry, sales tax on certain items as well. So I know if items are going to the vault, they don't charge you sales tax on that. Or if they're assuming trading within it, the assuming vault. Assuming it's in a non-sales tax state, which we hope, I don't know if we officially know that yet, but we're hoping that it is. Yeah, it's on their, it's, right now it's on eBay's oh, website. That. On eBay's Perfect. website, if you're trading within the vault, not once you pay okay. tax if you take it out of the vault. Okay. If you're trading within the vault, there's no sales tax. I didn't even know. Now so you know, now people, I know. A lot of people are really concerned about eBay fees. That will help negate sure. some of that to, to some extent if you're in a sales tax state like we are. Um, another thing that I'll say quickly on that is could it also eliminate buyer's remorse returns on some of this? If you're flipping within the vault, someone buys a prospect, sure. someone buys Burrow and they lose in the Super Bowl and they want to return the Burrow, does this negate that? Or are they going to still give yeah, a, a buyer's remorse window? So there's a lot of interesting things to think about. So the group consensus, a lot to love about it. I agree with these guys. One final point before we move to the next topic. The more it allows transactions to happen quicker, buying and selling, you don't have to deal with the shipping. And the more 
transactions can happen quicker, closer and closer to real time, the better it is for the hobby overall because the overall money being exchanged hands increases, the velocity of money increases, and that's good for the overall economy of the sports card market. So I'm excited for that reason as well. Let's get to our next mailbag topic. Our next mailbag topic is about unlicensed products. So products that do not have the official team logos. Are these products worth investing in? And you see these products, you, you have certain manufacturers like Leaf and like Sage and, and I think Wildcard, which is uh, you know a new one. Again, this year they actually existed when I was a kid, but they're back this year. Um, I believe uh, you know they create unlicensed products. So they're, they create entire businesses off of unlicensed products. And then you have um, you know some the big manufacturers like Panini, they'll create baseball sets. And those baseball sets that Panini creates, they're unlicensed baseball sets. But the, and, and the rumors have been that Topps is in the process of creating an unlicensed basketball set. So, you know, even the big manufacturers are doing this. From an investment standpoint, are these good buys? Are these not good buys? We'll start with you, Doug. What do you think? No. <laughs> From an investment standpoint, no. I would not recommend buying unlicensed products. There are some exceptions to that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that at, at more length when it comes to certain uh, rare inserts that Panini might make, like a, a downtown or a blank slate or something along those lines. There are exceptions to the rule, but in general, you don't want to invest in this. This is more of a collector's product. Uh, for me personally, I do think they're a bit underappreciated as a collector's product. I think of uh, Panini for baseball, for instance. Growing up, the biggest chase was a King Griffey Jr. rated rookie card. So that rated rookie logo means so much to me on baseball cards. So I actually have a lot of eye appeal towards you know Panini's unlicensed baseball products when it comes to optic and specific because of that rated rookie logo. It just scratches that nostalgic itch for me, and I really appreciate that. Um, you know, from an aesthetic standpoint, Panini does make some of the better cards, whether it's their their parallels or their inserts. And I do think that it's worth going after and you can if you're, if you're just collecting you can go after color matches and rainbows a lot cheaper that way and still have a really good looking collection it's true it's definitely one of the pros of it without a doubt i think unlicensed cards are great for the collector for the investor teapot are there certain inserts that you would still look to that interest you you know from unlicensed products i mean i've dabbled a little bit with kabooms and blank slates and other things i think there's actually some cool ones that for some reason they've only done in baseball and haven't done in their other products panini specifically uh, I think some of them are, are cool. If they're real niche, if they're super short printed of a big player, I think they can hold long-term value um, on those specific things. The other products, like you mentioned, I have not, you know, I would not honestly dabble with like Leaf and, and Wild Cards and other things. And I say that just because I've already done videos on how many other options there are within the license categories. Yeah. We've just seen products blown open so much. Now you're, now you're introducing a whole nother world of stuff that people don't know. They don't, and we know what a lot of that stuff from the 90s does. When you see all that, those other sets that nobody cares about now, it can be hard to move them. They truly are more of a collector item without a lot of long-term stay, you know, staying power. One thing that's intriguing, I'm going to take a different angle too here though, is uh, I highlighted this in my collector's video, custom cards. Custom cards are becoming very popular, yeah. and that is more of an intersection between art, like individual artists, and then the cards themselves. Some of these cards are absolutely awesome. Uh, Crazy Custom Cards sent me a, an orange vinyl Andre Drummond card, just like out of the goodness of his heart, really cool. Some of those, if these guys and gals who do the custom card work build a huge following and become like real known artists in that space, I could see some of their early work 
one-of-one -one type custom card things actually having a lot of long-term value too. I like it, it's really interesting. I will say about the unlicensed products, while I agree generally, you know, long-term non-investable, they're less, a lot less expensive. And so you can, you know, get more bang for your buck opening up the boxes by far. And there are certain cards, like Leaf, for example, does a really good job with getting some amazing autograph cards where they all have three or four or eight yeah. different stars. There are certain cards like that, like an unlicensed card, but that has a bunch of autographs of Hall of Famers on it. They also just that signed uh, Erling Holland to an autograph deal. So Leaf uh, will have Erling Holland autographs. So I think on the autograph side, there's certain unlicensed products that can still do very well, hold a lot of value over time. Anyway, hey guys, thanks for the mailbag questions. What questions do you want us to answer next episode? Leave those questions in the YouTube comments. And guys, I want you to check out Market Movers. Take advantage of that free trial of Market Movers that's going on right now. Go to sportscardinvestor.com, click on Market Movers in the main menu bar, promo code trial for seven days free. Guys, this has been fun. Teapot, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doug, for both of our sakes, yes. may both Kentucky and Florida be back in the mix next year. Maybe we'll even, this is a long shot, but maybe we'll even battle it out in the Final Four next year. You got year. a new coach. The possibilities are endless. Hey, I just want to point out Notre Dame and Michigan State made it further than both this year, which is crazy. So, it uh, is crazy. so did my like third and fourth and fifth favorite teams. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> it's. It's been a fun year. Yeah, you guys didn't know I'm a big Gonzaga fan as well. You didn't realize that? It's been, it's been fun, guys. Appreciate it, and we will see you back soon with our next episode. Take care.